I'd like to speak to you this morning about potential. And when we hear that word potential, we usually think about, well, what, what is the possibility of the things that I can do? But the potential that we hear about in Scripture is what is the possibility that we can become? Paul talked about potential. He, he put it this way. He said that I might apprehend, that I might realize all that for which I have been apprehended of by Christ. Paul had this, this burning desire to become all that Christ had saved him to be. The scriptures teach us that only two men, as God created a man to be, lived on the face of the earth prior to the resurrection. Did you hear that? Only two men lived on the face of the earth as God created a man to be prior to the resurrection. The scripture says the first Adam was made a living soul. The second Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first man is of the earth earthly. The second man was the Lord from heaven. And as we have resembled the earthly, we shall also resemble the heavenly. So the first man, Adam, was exactly what God created a man to be. And the second man, Jesus, was exactly what God created a man to be. So what happened between Adam and Jesus to men? Well, we're told that Adam was created in the image and likeness of God. Image meaning he has the attributes of God. He could think. He could reason. He could express himself. He could build. He could create. But he is also created in the likeness of God. He had God's very personality. He had God's nature. But at the time of the fall, and God said, if you disobey me, that day you'll die. He did not die physically that day, but the life of God died out in him. The day Adam sinned, he did not lose the image of God. He could still create, he could still build, he could still think. But the likeness of God, the personality of God, the spirit of God left him. And from Adam to Jesus, every man, every woman who was born in this world was born in the likeness of God, in the image of God, I should say, and in the likeness of Adam. We inherited the likeness of Adam. And this is why when Nicodemus came and had a question with Jesus about eternal life, Jesus says, you know, Nicodemus, you would have to be recreated. You would have to become something you are not now to inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You'd have to be remade. And that's exactly what happens the day you and I accept Christ into our life. The Holy Spirit comes into us and actually puts to death the nature of Adam in us. That's Romans 6.6. 6. And the old man is crucified in Christ that the body of sin might be destroyed. You might say, well, Ricky didn't do a very good job of putting to death the nature of Adam in me. <laughs> well, he did. But it's like a chicken who gets its head cut off. The second the head comes off, the chicken is biologically dead. But his body may run around for a long time. You take a snake that's laying out, you cut its head off. The second the head comes off, he's biologically dead, but the, the snake can shake for hours. The moment you and I accepted Christ into our heart, the old man was crucified. The nature of Adam was, in, was crucified. Yet, the life of that nature still resides in us. But it's no longer we, but it's sin who dwells in us. And Paul was very clear on this in Romans 7. He says, you know, every day I find myself not doing the things I want to do and doing the things I don't want to do. 
He says, if I do what I don't want to do and don't do what I want to do, he says it proves it's not me, it's sin that dwells in me. And then he said, I'm in this great dilemma. Who will deliver me from this situation? He says, well, thanks be to God. Through Christ, I'm going to be delivered. And then you get into Romans 8, 1. He said, now, good news is no one's condemned who's in Christ Jesus, who do not abide in the flesh, but abide in the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. You can tell what's important to a man by his final words. Jesus' last prayer on the cross was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So his number one priority is his relationship with Father. His next to the last prayer from the cross was, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. So he was concerned about your salvation and mine. But his third to the last prayer wasn't from the cross. It's the whole of John 17. And in John 17, Jesus basically asked for this, that you and I can have the same relationship, that you and I can become exactly what he experienced as a man on earth. And now we're talking about our potential. Jesus said in John 17, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, that they may be one in us. As I, Father, am in you, and you are in me, that they may be one in us. And then he says, I'm giving them the Holy Spirit, the glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one. Now he says, I in them, you in me, that they may be complete in one. So when Christ comes into our heart, he comes into our heart in the Father. I in them, thou in me, that they may be complete in one. And this is what he wants us to experience. Now, Jesus is a man, lived by example, and showed us by example what a man is supposed to be like. Even though Jesus was the creator of the universe, do you know what? He was the most uncreative man who ever walked this earth. All day long, he took dictation. He said, what Father tells me, I do. The things he shows me to do, I do. The words I speak are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The works I do are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Christ came into this world with all kind of potential in himself. What was it called? It's called deity. Now, deity will really work. And what was his every temptation? His every temptation was to draw on that resource of deity and live out of his resourcefulness of deity, and he never did. He always lived this life of complete and total dependence upon the Father. And it was the life of the Father, through the Holy Spirit, living through Jesus, that did the works, that raised people from the dead. You know, the first heresy of the church was that Christ came to earth as deity and not as man. And you know what? As deity, he could have died for the sins of the world and sins of man. But as deity, he could not have been an example to us. So it's very important for us to understand that when Jesus walked the face of this earth, he walked this earth's face as a man. Now, you know, that that heresy is still subconsciously believed today because all of us think that Jesus was like Superman, that he really did possess some powers that we don't. The truth of the matter is, he did possess them. They were in his back pocket called deity, but he never played that card. He lived a life of total dependence upon the Father, 
And the deity that you and I see in Christ's life wasn't from himself, it was from the Father flowing through him. And that is our potential. The word abide, he talks about in John 17, this this oneness. Then in John 15, he tells us what it looks like. He talks about abiding in me. Now, abide, the word abode comes from this word. It means to make our home in, where we rest, where we reside. Let me give you a paraphrase on John 15. First of all, when you read John 15, when he talks about, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. When we read that, we typically think, well, that means we're going to do some good work. We're going to build a church. We're going to uh, start a company. We're going to raise a family. But fruit is the ultimate manifestation of the life of the plant. And it has sap, I mean pulp that people can feed off of. It has seeds of new life. So what Jesus is talking about, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. What he's saying is, if you will abide in me, my life will manifest in you. So the paraphrase on John 15 goes something like this. Jesus says, I am the true vine that brings Father's life into this world. You are my branch, a very important part of me. Dwell in me, abide in me, and I will live through you. Oh, apart from me, you will wither. But as long as you abide in me, dwell in me, I will live in you and my life will manifest itself in you. And then he says, and this is my Father glorified, that my life manifests itself in you. You know, the first question of the Catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith is, what is the chief end of man? The answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The problem is we can't, in our own strength, glorify God. But how is God glorified? John 15. And this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. And I guarantee you, if you're a vine through which the life of Christ is flowing, you enjoy it. Let me tell you this. There's a thousand uses for a garden hose. Does everybody know, everybody know what a garden hose is? There's a thousand uses for a garden hose. You can take a garden hose and you can stretch it between two poles and you can hang clothes on it. You can take a garden hose and tie one end of it behind a tractor and the other to a a wagon and you can pull the wagon with the garden hose. You can take the garden hose and cut it into a hundred pieces and make little bracelets like I have on that says, Jesus loves me. There's a thousand uses for the garden hose. But there was only one intended by the manufacturer. That that hose... Be screwed into a faucet, water turned on, and water flowed through it. That was the intended use. The same for believers. There's a thousand uses for believer. And Lucifer, our arch enemy, is not so concerned if we build churches for Jesus, if we dig wells for Jesus, if we start businesses for Jesus, if we tell other people about Jesus. That doesn't concern him so greatly. But what concerns him very greatly is that you and I might abide in Jesus and the life of Jesus, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his meekness, his self-control, might flow through us, his life and light flow through us into Satan's very dark domain. And you see, all the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the smallest flicker of light. And that's what happens the moment you and I abide in Christ. 
He abides in us. His life flows through us. His love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his meekness, his self-control. And that God is glorified. Let me tell you about the fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit are like stars in the sky. Can you see any stars outside right now? No. It's too light. Too light. But if you go to... uh, Fredericksburg, Texas, on a night where there's no moon, you can see stars all the way down to the horizon. You can see the Milky Way. So it is with the fruits of the Spirit. How is somebody going to see unconditional love unless they have just given you a condition not to love them? How is somebody going to see joy unless circumstantially there's no reason for you or I to have joy? How is someone going to see true peace Unless there's circumstantially, there's no reason for you to have you and I to have peace. So you see a guy who's got a two million dollar home and, and a Maserati and a Ferrari and a, and a beautiful wife and a dog that doesn't bite, and he seems to be doing okay. Seems to be peaceful and joyful. You know, no one's impressed. You we would think, well, if I had all that, I'd be that way too. But if you see this guy walking down the street with one arm. Boils all over his body, pulling his wife in a wagon, and he's got a little cat falling behind him, and he's whistling and singing. You know, somebody might go up to him and ask him for the reason for the hope that lies within him. That's the way the fruits of the Spirit are. As you and I grow in our abiding, his life grows and expands in us. Sounds pretty simple. So, how do we abide in Christ? Well, None of us need lessons in abiding. We abide every day. But the extent we abide in anything other than Jesus, we don't abide in Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul was, people think, around 27 when he met Christ on the Damascus Road. But according to the first chapter of Galatians, it was 17 years before his first missionary journey. 17 years between his conversion experience and when he was equipped to go and spread the gospel to the Gentiles. What happened in those 17 years? Paul tells us in Philippians, he said, I learned to count all things lost. Now it's more than just the seven things that he mentions in Philippians, which seem to be interesting to Jews. He says all things lost. What basically Paul is telling us is that he learned to disengage, to learn not to depend upon his giftedness, his God-giftedness, and to depend upon Christ. Paul was very gifted. He had a wonderful education. Paul had to learn not to depend upon his giftedness, but depend only on Christ. Remember, Christ dumbed down from deity to live a life of dependence. All we have to do is dumb down from our humanity. (laughs) What does that look like? All the things that we trust in that are not Him become our disability. Robin had a wonderful challenge for us this morning. Do you believe God is? Do you believe He loves you? Do you trust Him? With the extent we trust in anything other than Him, we don't trust in Him. And this is the life of growth. This is the life of our sanctification, is learning to put all of our trust in Him. So you could say, well, Rick, how can I tell what I'm trusting in that's not him? Well, are you worried about anything today? 
Are you fearful about anything today? You know, the source of all fear is insecurity. When you get in, and I get insecure, we worry. The source of all fear is insecurity. The source of all insecurity is that, in fact, we have secured ourselves in that which is not secure. Jesus says in this world, everything moves, everything breaks, but me. Everything moves, everything breaks, but me. You live long enough, you'll see your spouse die. You live long enough, you may see something terrible happen to one of your children. You live long enough, you'll hear the doctor say, you got it, and it's not going away. Everything moves, everything breaks in this world but Jesus. So he says, do not secure yourself in anything but me, because I will never fail nor forsake you. For where your security is, there your heart will abide. Our hearts abide in the things that we secure ourselves in. So, our pilgrimage is discovering, discovering all those things we abide in that are not Him. And then it's a life of confession. Confessing before Him, yes, in fact, I am abiding in that. And would you take me someplace I cannot go myself? You know, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He said, apart from my Father, I can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that mean? What, what, what does he call everything we do apart from him? He calls it nothing. It doesn't mean something can't be done, but it's nothing. I'll give you an example, quick example. Let's say you secure yourself in your values. Are we supposed to have values? Absolutely. If a man without values is a man without a skeleton. So if you secure yourself in your values and you sit down at a table with someone and they sit down and say, you know... I would like to talk to you about um, my view uh, on abortion, that it should be free for everybody, and we should promote this, and also alternative lifestyles. In fact, Rick, I understand that you've got 11 grandchildren, and I'd like to talk to you about educating your grandchildren starting the first grade on alternative lifestyles. Well, you know what? If I'm securing myself and my values, as this person is talking to me, my ears are turning red. And by the time he finishes, I'm ready to basically tell him how the cat ate the canary. But if my security is not in my values and in Christ, I can listen to him. And after he says that, I look at him and smile and say, well, that's very interesting. Tell me more. And that may be the very man that the Lord wants to touch and bring to Christ through me. But see, if I secure myself in my values and somebody goes contrary to him, then I react. Every... Reaction is a response, but every response is not a reaction. A reaction is an uncontrollable, life-preserving response. We react when something we are looking to, something we're drawing life from, is obstructed, taken away, and then we react. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Someone said, hold life very loosely, hold Jesus very tightly. And then as you and I walk through this world and everything moves and everything breaks, we don't move and we don't break with it. Now, the not so good news, but it really is good news, is the more you and I grow in Christ, you know what? The darker circumstances he can trust us with. Why would he want to do that? Because that's where the fruits of the Spirit show up. But the good news is, is we learn to 
release everything we're securing ourselves into his hands and secure ourselves only on him, in him, then we discover that we can have a very smooth ride on a rough road. How's that? Smooth ride on a rough road. So when we see the storms coming, we see the obstacles coming, we can relax and say, hey, see this as an opportunity for Christ to live through me. Paul says, Christ who is my life. For me to live is Christ and to die is more Christ. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the vine of life. I am the that brings Father's life into the world. Each one of you are my branch, a very important part to me, of me. Dwell in me, and I will live through you. Apart from me, you'll wither. But if you dwell in me, I will live in you, and my life will flow through you, my love, my joy, my peace, my patience. And this is my Father glorified. What does your husband need today? What does your wife need today? What do your children need today? What do your employees need today? What does the, the man who darts in front of you in his car need today? All of our circumstances, all of the people in our lives need Christ living through us. Let me tell you another thing about fear. The second you and I experience fear, our eyes go blind, our ears go deaf, and our mind goes crazy. Secure yourself in your plans. Secure yourself in your plans. What happens? You know how to make God laugh? Tell me your plans. The second a plan gets thwarted, you become fearful and you want to take control. Your eyes are blind, your ears are deaf, your mind goes crazy. If you're in business, your thinking gets messed up. Plans get us out of bed on the field. But be willing to change your plans as God leads. To give you an example, if I uh, told Lionel here to walk down the street, he's listening to me, and then I say, now take a left, say, and then take a right, and now sit down. Okay, he was listening to me. But God will tell us, now go straight, and we get fixated on the plan and go straight, and all of a sudden he says, go left, and our first reaction is, get behind me, Satan. Why is that? Because we secured ourselves in our plan. And God might tell you to go straight, but he also will tell you to go left. That didn't mean he was wrong to go straight. It just means do not secure yourself in anything in this world where everything moves and everything breaks. Place all our security in him. And then he goes straight and go left, sit down, and life becomes this wonderful, incredible romance. In closing... If Father shows you this morning something that you're clinging to, and let me tell you, there's more than one. <laughs> as old as I am, I'm still learning. He started this, this exercise with me at the age of 20. But as you and I discover things that he, you're holding on to, I'm holding on to, for our security that's not him. When my oldest daughter was two years old, I was in shaving one morning uh, with an electric razor, and uh, she comes up with this double-bladed razor blade. you know what a double-bladed razor blade is? And she says, look, Daddy. And, you know, I looked at her, and I knew if I said, give me that, she would go just like that. Because that's our reaction. Well, 
Stripe toothpaste had just come on the market. Prior to this time, all toothpaste was white or green. But there's a new toothpaste out that had stripes in it, and Kathy had bought me a tube of stripe. So I said, Laura, let me show you something. I said, I've got this new toothpaste, and I took it out, and I put it on this toothpaste. I said, look, it has stripes, and I put it out over her head. She looked up at that, and she reached for my toothbrush, and when she did, she dropped that razor blade. That's the way I found Father works in our lives. If there's something in your life that you feel Father is saying you're securing yourself in, you need to let go of that. Don't concentrate on letting go of it because if you do, you just want to squeeze it tighter. Look to Him. Say, Father, I can never let go of that. You've already told me I can. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And just look to Him and He will excite you about something and you'll discover one day that you just let go of it. It's gone. Okay. Um, Jesus says that this is the record, the Scripture says this is the record that God has given us eternal life and that life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Eternal life isn't about living forever. Eternal life is the life of the Father. It's the life of the Son in us. Now, if there's anyone here today, man, woman, boy, or girl, who does not have eternal life in them, well, I guarantee you, you don't miss it, because you can't miss something you never had. But you can yearn for it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He causes us to yearn for the life of the Father and the life of the Son in us. So... Uh, during this last song, I want you to, to think about that and just know that an invitation has been offered to you. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I'm the way to go, I'm the truth to know, and I'm the life to live. And he says that he gave himself for you, that he could give himself to you, that he could live his life through you. For God so loved the world that he gave without reservation, his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Those last verse of John 17, it's like this. Father, I have declared unto them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you have loved me, that love may be in them, and I may be in them. Those were the the final words of his third to the last prayer, that I may be in them, that the world may know that you have sent me and love them just as you have loved me. That's what happens when we abide in Christ, that the world may know that he has sent Christ and loved us just as he's loved him.